To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, it's happening, guys. Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. I got a good one today. So I have back on my buddy, Tony Treach. Uh, Tony's been on the podcast before. He just exemplifies a Western hunter. Uh, the guy lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes uh, hunting the West. And and um, heck, I think one year we had him on the podcast and he told a story. He left his house for three months, hunted a few different states, multiple different tags, uh, the guy is so dedicated and really Western hunting. It's like, um, to be good at it. What, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to endure? And Tony will endure about anything just day after day. Uh, Hey, I just have a ton of respect for him and I get a ton of motivation from him. And so this is just a great podcast. This podcast goes long and we talk about last season, uh, Tony killed a bomber buck out of Colorado, out of a brand new unit in the high country. And just the way he describes it, the days he spent looking for this buck and the, the, the dedication to this next level deer and finding it again and then putting it all together, uh, his run-ins with, with other hunters in the unit. He just does a great job of telling the story. Uh, we talk about his late season New Mexico hunt, which, um, which, which is, uh, uh, interesting to me right now. I mean, I was really interested in the hunt when we talked and when he did it because I've also hunted that unit. But this year, I just drew a really good New Mexico tag. So it's not that same unit, but it's a New Mexico late hunt. I'm super excited for it. So um, pumped I got that. And um, yeah, just a great conversation. Uh, uh, Tony is a great Western hunter. Uh, so his approach is is just so intelligent. He's got great insight, heck of a bow hunter, heck of a rifle hunter. So I couldn't be more excited to release an episode to you guys. This is a great one. So Tony Treach, we'll get right into it. I just want to thank my sponsors real quick. So I want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Sig Sauer Optics, I am so impressed with the optics they're coming out. So I got their range-finding binoculars last year, and this is like just me being honest. I got their range-finding binoculars, and it's really good glass. The laser in it's really good. It does everything I want. But the focus rings on the binoculars were just like too loose where they would move, and so my eyes would kind of be out of focus. And um, so finally I, I wrote Brandon, which is Brandon Mason, which is in contact with SIG. And I said, hey, these these eye cups just aren't working for me. You know, that I can't keep them to stay. They keep rotating it. So instantly he calls SIG and SIG says, yes, send them to us. SIG has such a great warranty department. I told them about a problem they they didn't even know they had, I don't think, at the time. Or maybe they've revamped them or, or, or done something with them at the time. But uh, their warranty department, they had those binos. They fixed them to me, had them back to me within a couple weeks. Uh, those things are rocking now, and I'm really excited to use them because it saves a step. It's not having binos and a rangefinder, so super stoked with that. Uh, I really like their standard binoculars. In fact, 
I just got my first set of 15s. I've always wanted a pair, and uh, I got a pair of six-hour 15s. Spotted my first bear with them yesterday. Uh, the things are just off the hook. Man, it gives you such a zoom level for glassing distant terrain. But I just can't say enough good things about Sig Sauer, their binoculars, range-finding binoculars. There, there's new scope. Uh, they just redid it last season, and now it's a 27 by 55 by 80 mil objective lens. That thing is so crisp and so clear. It stands up. Uh, with the very top high-end glass and, and, and beats it in my mind. I mean, it is just awesome glass. I've always believed they build the best rangefinders on the market. You can use their rangefinders with an app in your phone with your scope, and they all talk together using this BDX system. Uh, their rangefinders, they do angle compensation, last target priority, a quick laser, a powerful laser to shoot through the grass, just awesome products. Uh, so I just I just want to thank Sig Sauer, and if you guys are in the market for new optics, uh, give them a chance, go look through them, go check them out, because they're really producing some of the best glass out there and some of the best products out there. Um, so thanks to Sig Sauer, appreciate it. I also want to thank Swagger Bipods. Uh, I did that Swagger episode with Josh uh, a bit back. Uh, I, I just love Swagger's products. I have uh, the Swagger, um, the the um, mountable one on my rifle stock. My daughters use it. It just gives them a quick acquired target. And, and you know, Swagger is just different than the standard bipods. Their bipods, they adjust in height and they're spring loaded where you can really move things around and track your target as it moves. So it's a next level bipod. They also make shooting sticks. If you don't like the weight on the end of your rifle, you can get some shooting sticks. Uh, just great shooting sticks, spring loaded tension, same deal as the bipod, but you can adjust your height and then you can track your target. Uh, just awesome products and, and being an accurate rifle shot is all about the rest and swagger builds the best rests out there. Um, so thanks again to Swagger and, and all their support of the podcast and building great products. They've helped my daughters be successful with their rifles. My dad has one on his rifle now, so um, my my dad can shoot. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's like every – like being an easy rifle shot is way easier said than done or being a good rifle shot is easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice. Uh, and, and it takes being in a good shooting position. And I can say my dad is a heck of a shot with a bipod on his rifle. So um, it's been a, a huge improvement for him as well. So I uh, just th- want to thank Swagger for all, all they do. Make sure to check them out. And uh, on the podcast there, gosh, we got some great episodes coming up. I launched that fly fishing podcast. I've been running that. I think we're six episodes deep. I've got a brand new episode this week with Landon DeKaiser. He runs the fishing podcast, and we do one on reading water. Just an awesome conversation. Uh, I've just been digging this podcast, um, putting out good content. And uh, so make sure to check that out. Uh, That's over on Eastman's On The Fly uh, sister podcast. And um, yeah, at Eastman's, make sure to check out Tag Hub. You can get a subscription to both magazines, which includes... All the staff articles, all the the subscriber articles, and includes the MRS, the members research section. Uh, you can get a subscription to both magazines for forty nine ninety nine and get a free outdoor edge knife. Just text elevated two twenty to two two eight two eight, and uh, that'll get that thing coming. And um, yeah, be on the lookout. Uh, Beyond the grids are coming out. Some great episodes there, and uh, also Eastman's. 
um, on the Outdoor Channel, Eastman's Hunting TV, um, some good episodes replaying there, my Nevada episode, Wyoming episode, and then um, Montana elk episode. So proud of this year's film, the way it came out. Uh, there's also an antelope episode out from last season that was self-filmed that's a really good one, paired with uh, Brandon Mason's antelope hunting where his son filmed it. Really cool episode. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, with that, let's get right into this podcast. A great one with Tony Treach. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yeah, well, um, man, what a season. Um, so fun to follow along. So uh, I it just refreshed my memory like that late season hunt. I don't know if we ever talked about that, that hunt you had in January. Did we talk about that on the podcast? I don't think so. I think we had uh, we, we talked, we did a podcast in December or November before I left for that. But uh, no, I don't think of, uh, I think when it came out in the magazine uh, this past month, that was the uh, the first time that I really you know, talked about it or, you know, or, you know anybody had knew anything about it. So, man, it was, um, uh, it was a cool hunt. What a cool hunt. Yeah. I, and well, and I've been in that, that same terrain and that same country hunting as well down in there. And so like, I yeah. could really put myself in that position and then I just did, you know, so much late season hunting this year, like a, 11 days or 12 days in the deep snow and the cold. And so, uh, yeah, that that story. You did a great job of telling it, Tony. And it's um, it's also good to hear uh, that you fail as well on stocks like me. I don't always get it done on the first try. Yeah, that was. Uh, I I made a mistake uh, going into that hunt. I, I don't forget. I forget who I was talking to. Um, but I, it might have been with you. Uh, but I I was so confident because I hadn't missed. I hadn't had a bad shot all fall long. And that, that literally, that bow that, that, I, that I shot last year, the RX-3 uh, was, or I guess that was the one, uh, I hadn't missed with that bow. And so when I when I drilled that limb uh, right above him, uh, the first time I got a shot at him, it was kind of humbling. And I, I kind of, you know, it's like, well, that's what I get for opening my mouth and and, uh, and bragging about the fact that I, you know, I went a whole season without a bad arrow. So no, it was it was definitely a cool hunt. It was one of the colder hunts that I've ever been on. Um, besides, you know, like back home in, in northern Michigan, but you know, you're a little more prepared for it then, where you know, you, you can dress warmer and cause you're not moving. But that was, uh, you know, I was waking up to negative 25 every day, negative 20, you know, 22, 20, and I mean, I got really lucky with the weather because that. I mean, yeah, you you've been on that that hunt, and it's. If you don't get the weather, you're, uh, the deer just aren't there. Um, and it got, you know, five, six inches of snow before I got there. And then uh, literally the afternoon that I pulled in there, I think it was, I think I got there five, four or five days before the season opened, um, the January 1 opener. And it, like, while I was in there, like scouting the unit, it started snowing. And it didn't stop for, you know, two or three days. And, man, the deer just piled in there. And uh, I, I forget who it was, um, but some someone along the way had told me, you know, don't forget your, your chains for your truck. And I've literally had the chains in the back of the truck for the last seven or eight years, and I've never had to use them. Like I've literally, they've, you know, I don't even, those things probably have, you know, 100,000 miles or 150,000 miles, and I'm just bouncing around the back of the truck, and I've never put them on. And 
those those roads in that unit get packed down with snow. I mean, they don't plow them, but but there's oil field workers going back and forth and back and forth, and they pack that stuff down so hard that I mean, I, I, one of those big canyons, I, I I started going down it, and it was just starting to snow, but there was old snow packed down, and I kind of I you know I slid a little bit going down, but it was nothing that I didn't feel you know I didn't feel uncomfortable with it. Got to the bottom. We had a short little hike. Maybe I was gone for an hour. Came back and there's like two inches of snow on it on the road now. I mean, it's just it's just snowing hard. And I thought about putting the chains on and I didn't. And I started making my way up that hill and I got about three quarters of the way up it. And there's several switchbacks. Um, and I just, I mean I just ran out of traction. I had it in four wheel high and I thought, well I'm gonna put it in four wheel low, which horrible mistake. Like like so I think that. Uh, you know, I'd have been better off just getting out of the truck and throw. You know, I had a little shovel, throwing some gravel in, in front of the, you know the tires, or, or just putting the chains on. But I put it in four wheel low. You know, I had to put it in neutral, shift it into drive, and it, the tires started to rotate. And I mean, I literally started to pull up the hill. Maybe I made it six inches before it, they broke broke free. But this time, when they broke free, now being in four wheel low, I don't think the analog brakes work. And I mean, I was going backwards. I mean, like it. In, 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 a, in a quarter of a second, 20 miles an hour, and I'm headed towards that turn, you know, the, the hairpin turn, and I have zero control. So I threw it in neutral, and I had enough time to think, I'm going off the edge. The truck is totaled. You know, it's going to be a gear explosion on the side of a mountain. I'm going to be lucky to get out of this alive because it's it's not like, you know, it's not a thousand feet down, but it's a couple hundred feet down, and somehow, I mean, I, I, I basically, you know, as soon as I put it in neutral, the analogs actually started working. I pumped the brake, you know, I'm, I'm working the brakes as well as I can and, and literally steering backwards as best I can. The, you know, when they built that road, they had burned it up a little bit on the, on the sides and that saved me. I mean, I literally caught traction a little bit. I mean, I, I kept, I mean, I'm, I'm going sideways, left, sideways, right, back and forth all the way down the hill. I went around all the corners you know, after I went probably down the second or third one, I you know I, I was starting to slow down a little bit, and I probably got it underneath you know 20 miles an hour. But I mean, there was a moment where I thought, who cares if I kill a deer on this hunt? I, I might die, and the truck's just it's it's gone. But I made it to the bottom of that hill, side, and I literally like lodged my I was stuck sideways, and I, I've never been happier to get out and put my feet on the ground and be like, you know, just. Oh man, the, the adrenaline pump that, that that gave me. I mean, I I thought for sure it was I was toast, and uh, and I put the chains on, <laughs> and that chains didn't uh, the chains were on that truck that every second I was off road the rest of the rest of the hunt. Uh, and with the chains, you know, I could climb up a tree if I wanted to. But uh, yeah, that was that. It can be some scary uh, scary moments out there sometimes. Oh Tony, that is so sketchy. Yeah, that. Late season hunting, you just rely upon your rig so much, especially when it's negative 25, too, that oh, yeah. you're just counting on it every time you come back to start. And you're right, those hills, man, that scares the heck out of me. I had to back a mile off a road this year that I went up, and the snow just got too deep, and I couldn't climb it. But I'm with you in putting those chains on. I've always been, just been, like, I run the rubber on my tires, and I kind of spin them, and I get my momentum, and I get up these hills and get to places, but... You just don't have the grip and control you do with chains. And so 
I'm just going to be way better at just sticking on my chains when it's that gnarly, icy, or snowy road. And then, you know, I'm good at not pushing it, too, you know? Like, yeah. I'd stop before a hill and hike further in. But I definitely handicap myself that way, too, as, you know, I have to cover way more miles. But I'm, I'm with you, man. It comes down to a lot of driving skill on these late-season hunts. And I found found myself time and time again, you know, pushing my comfort level and, and uh, trying mm-hmm. not to, you know, you can't total your truck on the side of the mountain or the whole hunt's over with, you know. And so you're just trying to play it safe. Oh. But some of those spots are super sketchy. And I had another buddy in Idaho that ran yeah. off the road this year. Um, and, uh, boy, he had to get a ride back to town and bring a chainsaw back up and cut his way out and turn around. I saw the aftermath, you know, after he had got out and um, just a huge headache in two, three days. And my buddy Dan went backwards down a hill that same way where you start up that hill and you just don't have enough momentum to make it to the top. And so he got frozen on the hill and the moment he stopped, it broke free. And he said he came down and came over the sage and bank man said it got a little Western there. He wasn't hurt or didn't have a 200 foot cliff like you did, but man, it is sketchy in the late season. I, I hear you loud and clear on that one. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, just by luck. Uh, and you know, whoever graded that road last, uh, you know, built up just a, you know, a foot high little berm on the side, and it had froze. And if it wasn't for that, I'm sure I would have went off. Oh but, man! So those chains, um, they really helped you grip, and then you used the chains oh, from there on out. Yeah, yeah. As soon as uh, I mean, I originally had had hopes of uh, of uh, making like a base camp out there and and just uh, staying out there the whole time. But when it when I got there and it was that cold, I I got a hotel and um, it was the only. Uh, actually, in the last I think three years that I've actually uh, stayed in a in a hotel the entire time. But at negative twenty five, I just didn't have the I didn't have a stove for my uh, for my tent. I, I didn't have any way to do it, so I was using the truck every day. And but as soon as I got off the highway, it, those chains went on. And man, those things are um, I uh, they're, they're some Swedish company. It's not like the big chain links like everybody else has. They're they're almost kind of like micro chains, and they're square edges. Those okay. things, I could think I could climb up three with those things. Wow. Um, and they're, they're pretty badass. I, I will, yeah, anytime now I'm, yeah, yeah, I got goosebumps right now just thinking about me flying too. down the hill. But, <laughs> me too. Yeah, <laughs> it I, scares I, the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, In the end, I'm, and I'm always alone too. I mean, I could have went off that edge, and it could have been days before anybody found me. Man, I hear you. I'm always out there by myself, too. So it's just good. Like, um, we rely upon our trucks so much on so many of these hunts. Like, a lot of the early season ones are backpacking, and we're away from our trucks for days on end. But you always have to come back, and that thing always has to start. And so I'm sure you've got your yeah. kit because you're such an experienced traveler. Um, With those chains, um, so one problem I run into is I can't fit the chains on the front. Were you able to put those chains on the mm-hmm. front and the back? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The, uh, the my yeah my the truck I have now has tons of clearance. Um, and I actually when I replaced the tires, I actually just went up a couple sizes, and I still have like several inches of clearance. Uh, even when even with the wheels turned. So yeah, oh, wow. there's uh okay. they run all four. And, yeah, my ball joints sit too close on those tundras to where you can't get a big set of chains on that front or you risk ripping out, you know, the sides of the truck. So I need to figure out something like what you have with those micro chains or I've looked at the cables, but I think those micro chains that you have, if I ran those on the front, 
or, or even the front and back, the way you uh, rave about them, may be better than the big chains that I have for the back. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take a picture of the a picture of them in the bag that they come in. I think it's got the the names to on them. Um, yeah, I, I I love them. But you run a spare yeah. battery or jump kit with your truck when you go? I'm sure. You know, I've got a uh, a battery charger, but I don't have uh, one of those uh, remote uh, jump kits. Uh, and I've actually, I heard you talking about it with somebody else uh, a month or so ago, and I put it on my list of stuff that I I need to have. Um, it's I have not um, with the diesel. You know, there's you know I got two batteries, and it's usually you know I've never I've never had a problem with it knocking wood, but. The truck is uh, it's going on four years old now, so it's probably it's probably time to either replace those batteries or get a, get a little remote starter. Yeah, those dual batteries are nice. The way they work in tandem like that on the diesels, like you say, you almost have a, a backup with those, or it's a pretty strong start um, every time with those. Yeah. 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 But it was a fun hunt. Uh, you know, once that, that was easily the most, you know, the only exciting part of the hunt, uh, it was it was it was it took me a while to get on the deer in there, um, and I covered a lot of ground. And but I've and I've I've helped a couple of our guys that you know have drawn that hunt uh, this year. Uh, and uh, I told myself, like, you know, it's it's one of those at least the year that I hunted it. Um, you know, it, it was there was enough snow and it was cold enough that the guys were just driving around like they're really wasn't many I mean I literally in five days of scouting and I think I, I don't know what day I killed a buck I mean like five or six day five or six or seven something like that and I never cut a footprint in the snow once I got off the you know 100 feet away from the road I never glassed up a set of tracks in the snow I never glassed up another person away from a road like literally it was just it was so nasty that no one they just didn't want to get wouldn't get away from their their vehicles and uh, yeah, once once I found where the deer were, I mean they were they were uh, feeding hard on the on the bitter brush in a, in a, just a couple of small spots, and it was uh, lucky for me that uh, I think there was a hot doe in there too, and he stuck around even though after he he saw me a couple times, and um, but you know I it's the the late season, you know it. <laughs> it's it's almost you kind of bites you either way like it's either just crazy cold the entire time or you you know probably more typical down there is where you get the snow and then it you know, it starts to thaw and or not thaw you know melt and then and then refreezes at night and, and then you get super crunchy stuff and after probably about you know I, I think it was the day before I killed him we got it started to really warm up and actually rain and then you know, it was like the night I killed him. It was starting to set up, and if I, had, I don't think I'd have, I'd have got it done that night, man. The next day would have been so crunchy. Um, and because even as it was, I had to like keep my feet in the snow and kind of slide them forward, and not lift them out out of it. It was just too noisy. Man, but, um, yeah, you get that crunchy snow. There's just nothing you can do. You can't even get close to those things. I remember when I hunted yeah. that place. I had crunchy conditions, and so my rule, I started only stalking those things in the afternoon after the sun would warm it up and it'd melt and it'd get quiet again because in the morning it, it was just, um, you know, it, it there was just no way to get clipped. they just hear you coming. But I like that tip of keeping your feet in the snow 
gosh, they hear that crunch of the snow so well, mm-hmm. um, or that sound of the snow even, you know, and it's, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And it's tough to move like really slow and patiently like you would on an early season hunt, because like you say, it's ten twenty below, you can hardly hold still for that amount of time. So it's yeah. really tough to move slow and be patient in that weather. So kudos to you for sticking it out and harvesting such a nice late season buck. Yeah, it was, uh, I was super happy with it. He was easily the biggest one I found. And I, uh, you know, like I said, I would have been happy after, after I made it to the bottom of that hill alive, I was, I was happy just to, just for that. And at that point, anything else was just gravy. So, yeah, well, um, I definitely have got motivation from that story lately. And then the one that really got me during hunting season was, um, your story of, of that early season Colorado buck that you harvested a brand new unit you hadn't been to and I you scouted something crazy like 20 days before the season opened and then had multiple stocks on I remember reading that or reading your text or I can't remember we were corresponding back and forth but um man oh man um you you've sure uh been tested on some tough hunts Tony and um you just continue to put forth the effort and time and um Uh, it's just really fun to follow along well thanks uh yeah i'm pretty fortunate that i that i can take time off work to to scout as much as i do and i think it was 20 days from the time i saw him to the time i killed him i think i had like i think 12 days of scouting in there and uh and thank god i did because i mean i it took me a while to, to find out i mean find where they were i mean it was i mean i think the last four years i've hunted a new unit in colorado every year and this one was uh, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, the deer just didn't act like, and they don't live where, where they normally do in the other units that I've hunted in Colorado. It was bizarre. Like there was, you know, most of the deer were down low. They weren't up in the high country. There was some deer up there. Um, but, but most of the deer, the majority of the deer I found were actually like living in that middle Middle zone. Now there was deer down in the sage. There was deer up high above timberline, but most of them were in the aspens, where the aspens met sage. And I, I, I gave that several days scouting that and tried really hard to, to you know, to, to find good bucks and to pattern them. But man, it was. I kept. I in the back of my head, I just kept thinking, this is not gonna. This is, this is not how. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not used to doing this. This is. Uh, you know, because they were bedding in the in the trees, and there was you know they weren't even starting to turn yellow yet. And I mean, I just kept running through my head like this is I need to find a buck up in that in the high country, and and I I so I went back to it and I was not finding very many deer, and I had some you know I found some I, I mean I found bucks, but the uh, and I and I guess it didn't take me too many days to find the the one that I ended up targeting, but. I saw some crazy stuff. I actually, uh, when I first got to the unit, I ran down the uh, the game warden and uh, picked his brain a little bit. Well, one day when I was scouting, a helicopter came in. Uh, I was overlooking a big base in the head. It had a handful of bucks in it, but nothing probably over that 170 mark. And but it had about, I would guess, man, 400 elk. Uh, there was not no bull, big bull in it, just little rags and tons of cows and calves and they're just feeding away, and this helicopter comes over the the, the far mountain and swoops down. And I've got video of it, a lot, really good. I mean, I had the spotter and everything set right up, and the phone was on the 
you know, digiscope, you know, phone scope was right on the uh, spotter. So I got his numbers and, and he swooped over those elk and started to stampede and they all, you know, and he stayed over top of them and watched, you know, close. Like, I mean, I, I considered it harassment. So my next uh, day uh, of uh, packing out back to town to get uh, water and stuff, I, I ran down the, uh, the CO again and showed him the video and he was pretty pissed when he watched it and he said, well, I'm headed to the airport. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think it was the second day of season. He, uh, he knew where my base camp was and he stopped by and, and he said, well, I got good news and bad news. The, the good news is I figured out who it was. And the bad news is it's one of my coworkers. <laughs> it was actually the uh, sheep biologist. And, and, and not to say that they weren't in trouble because there was no reason for, for them to, I mean, they were looking, they were doing a sheep count. And so there was no reason for them to be that close, you know, to that herd of elk. But uh, apparently they had crashed one of their helicopters and they were down to one, one helicopter. And they were, so they were running late. This, I mean, they were actually doing that count. I mean, just a few days before the sheep season started. And I could just imagine if, if I were a sheep hunter up there and I had found one, a ram and was sitting on them. And that guy, that pilot did that with the biologist and they're, you know, a couple days before season, man, I'd have been pissed. But uh, I don't know whatever happened about it, but I'm, I'm sure someone got a little talking to about it. Man, what uh, what weird stuff uh, we find in the mountains when we're up there, weird oh, scenarios we come across that we have to handle. It sounded like you you handled everything the right way and turned them in. But, yeah, I mean, I, I saw some elk harassment this year, too, where, you know, I ran into a game warden and was able to tell them and give them a description of the vehicles. And I think it was ranch owners that were – trying to herd the elk by his buddies and trying to chase him with his with his rig down there it was, it was just it makes you sick to see um but it it sounds like they were supposed to be up there just not supposed to be buzzing elk but yeah they uh, uh hopefully they had some recourse for their action as well you know because that definitely isn't counting sheep you know Man, no. that, that would just make you so upset if you if you drew that dream tag and you get your chance to hunt a a big ram and you put in the time uh, scouting and mm-hmm. find them and then have that helicopter screwed up but that that scouting time is so important isn't it like uh some of these seasons i get so busy and i don't get my scouting days in and you just spend a lot of the days you know looking for the deer you want to kill where really that scouting just pays such huge dividends to just to learn the country the vantage points and those deer they prefer certain spots over other spots, and you know you can look yeah. at five drainages that look perfect and great habitat, but it just doesn't have that bachelor herd of bucks, and so you got to find that one that does. And I love to travel country as I hunt, but you can just narrow down a lot of that search in the early season to know where those big bucks are living, and then try to relocate them. Which mm-hmm. you know sounds exactly like what you did. You're always good at putting in your days, twelve days of scouting, so you turn up that that good buck in the high country finally, and then yeah. you're then you're on them. Yeah, he. Uh, well, I, I mean, I I found him, but I, and I took a bunch of videos. I spent a day watching, but then I I actually kept looking for others. I mean, I I wanted to. You know, I had time, so I wanted to see if there was anything else bigger, and I, I never did find anything better. And then uh, it was that I actually talked to that that game warden uh, and tried to at, you know, pick his brain about how on earth I could get to the top of that mountain that he was living on the, without going up through the basin that, that he was spending his time in. Because the back, I mean, you know, three sides of it are just like, I mean, there's no trails, there's no um, 
well, I shouldn't say it. I ended up did I did end up finding a trail, but there's no marked trails and there's no there's no easy way. And that's basically he said. He's like, well, there's there is no good way. Have fun. And I mean, I even went to the uh, Forest Service and asked them and tried to find you know, additional maps and I couldn't find any other way to get above them. You know, or I couldn't find an easy way. I couldn't find a, a, a you know something that would say here's a trail. So I literally like the last three days before the season started maybe four I just at that point I'm like all right this is my target buck I'm you know if I find something else great that's bigger better but I mean he's way better than than I'd hoped for so I'm going to concentrate on him and I'm going to try to I need to find different routes to get above him and I tried several different ways um <laughs> a couple of you know I got I, a couple of them it's like well I I, I just don't I, I can't do this it's like it's not you get to a certain point and it's like all right now I gotta you know it's you're walking a knife ridge that's vertical on both sides and it's it's crumbly and loose and it's like I don't I, I, it's not safe and I mean I push and I push my limits probably more than most a lot of times I mean I don't see anybody else usually where I'm at and there was just no good way up there um, so you know I, I think it was the, the third day yeah the three days before the season uh, I had found a I finally finally found a way but it was just I mean. I just basically had to switch back, back and forth up this, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to speculate like how steep it was, but it's, I mean, I grew up a ski racer and it's, it was, it was more than any black diamond or, it, you know, it was like, it was really, really steep. I mean, the kind that of, you wouldn't even want to try doing it without trekking poles. I mean, you're almost on all four the whole way, but it's so steep and crumbly that, uh, you know, it's, it was a lot of work to get up there and you almost kind of had to hope that uh, when you got to the top, that they were still in the basin where I first seen him and not because, because he was moving around a little bit. And if he happened to be, you know, when you kept crept out over the top of that thing and he's right there, I mean, you're, you're pegged. Uh, and so I was above him, uh, three days before season, just watching him. I found a couple, you know, I found him in a new bed that I'd never seen him, uh, in before when I was watching from below and, uh, just sitting there watching. And I, I, it was actually it ended up working out in my benefit. Uh, I'm sitting there, you know, it's mid afternoon, all the bucks are down, and here comes a guy walking right up the middle of the basin. And you know, he's not—you can tell he's not. I mean, if he's a hunter, he's—he's he's definitely doesn't have hunting on, or scouting on his mind, you know. And walks right up the middle of the basin, comes—you know—that's the easy way to the top of that peak. Unfortunately, and the reason I didn't want to use it is just because you're walking right past the deer. And once in a while, one of them would—you know—there's like like dozen down there or bucks down there and they they'd pick up their head and look over there but none of them even stared at him like they well they'd look over and that was enough and then uh and he's probably 700 yards 800 yards from him, maybe nine comes all the way to the top uh i kind of startled him because i'm sitting there in the rocks in my in my sitka uh, clothes and I, I guess i blended in pretty good because he didn't expect to see somebody sitting there but anyway he's all full of questions and he wasn't anti-hunting at all he was he was just curious and once I you know, explained to him I was deer hunting and or was going to be deer hunting soon and I didn't bother telling him there was a dozen bucks down in the basin, which in hindsight maybe I should have, but um, you know, we talked for a half hour and you know because everybody always has questions that the non-hunters you know like well how do you, how do you, when you get a buck down here what how do you what do you do with it how do you get it out and you know you have to explain everything to him and so in the end you know he takes his little pictures up at this little peak there and and he's on his way down again but. On his way down, he didn't just walk straight down. He stopped and he sat down on a rock in the middle of the basin, 
at the same elevation as the most of the deer, and he reads his book, and he has a sandwich, and he does his his business uh, behind the rock, and oh no, oh yeah, and then and then, at this point the deer are looking at him, their heads are up, but they're not like they're they're not really they don't care. I mean they're used to seeing people I think in in this area, but there's no trail. There's this you know he's. So he put he changes his socks up, puts his boots back on, packs up his gear, and instead of continuing down the hill the same way he went, he turns 90 degrees and traverse starts traversing across the slope over towards the cliff that all the bucks were laying in. And as soon as he, I mean, he made it like 10 feet, and and they just like boop 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 boop, they all start standing up. Now they're watching him, and I start scrambling to get all my gear out of there because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but if they come up here. I don't want them to see me and smell me. I mean, they're already going to be kind of spooked if they see two people. And sure enough, they start filing up, you know, up the mountain towards me. So I grab my stuff and all my gear in, in, you know, in my backpack and I bail off the backside uh, of the mountain where I came from. And I'm trying to get over the, this to the, you know, the steep edge that I talked about. Yeah, I had to switch back up and down. But it's like a, it's a 800, 900 yards to it from where I was. And there's a steep spot, you know, with loose rocks, and then it's just kind of a low, green meadowy, you know, spot with some water. That's actually where they were watering too. I found out later. Um, and I'm just trying to get to that edge and bail off before they see me. And I kept looking over my shoulder, looking over my shoulder, and sure enough, like you know, I'm 50 feet from the edge, and I turn around, and they're all like, like it's like a parade of them, just skyline there, and they're all just staring at me. And uh, I was like, oh well. He's he's laid his eyes on me now, um, and, I, and I'm you know and they went back to feeding. Uh, you know I kind of crept over the edge and then just peeked my head over and although I was you know 900 yards away so I didn't. But I got out of there and uh, uh, was back in there the next day looking for him and he was gone. Uh, most of the, there was three mature bucks in there and all three of the mature ones and a handful of little ones were gone. I think there was probably like seven or eight bucks left that stuck around, but all the older bucks left and. I think the day of the opener, you know, three days later after that, the number two and number three buck in that group, which, you know, the, the number two buck, he was a four by four that probably pushed 180, 185, 190. Um, he was back, and so was the big three by four, which, if the three by four, if, his, if, he, had, if he had matched up his four side, uh, he was probably going to be, he'd be, you know, he'd be close to two. Um, they were back, but the big one wasn't. And, I passed up stock, opportunities to stock on those guys um, for the next, man, I think four days. Um, I just sat down at the bottom. I didn't go up top. I didn't want to, because I knew he's up there somewhere. I, I would just move around the bottom of that mountain looking for him. And I actually ran into one other hunter, bow hunter, that had a deer tag. Super great guy from uh, from Utah. And, you know, I'm literally like buried in some in some willows. I've made I, you know, I clipped a bunch of willows and I put them over top of me to block the sun. And I'm just sitting in there watching him waiting. Uh, and he comes by and you know, <laughs> kind of like, what are you doing in there? And I and I was brutally honest. Like I'm I'm waiting for a buck. One there's one buck on this mountain that I'm gonna kill or that I want to kill. And you know, and he's like uh, he's like, yeah, I saw those bucks up there from down there. He's like, it's not one of them. I'm like, nope. He's like, uh, and you got to see the wheel to turn. I'm thinking he was moving up there to put a stock on his buck, but he sat down next to me, and we we talked for five or six hours that day. 
And uh, I told him, you know, I said, you want to go up there and stock one of those two bucks, the bigger, you know, the number two and number three buck, go for it, man. I don't know where he's at. I could never see him again. And he said, no way. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mess it up. You've uh, been here long enough, and I'll find other bucks. And uh, he ended up uh, moving over. I, I told him about uh, what would end up being that basin where I where I saw the, uh, the helicopter harassing those elk. I told him about the bucks that were in there, and he was more than happy to to go over there. I mean, it was probably five or six bucks over 170, or at least over 160 in there. And he went over there and chased them around for a few days. And I'm not sure if he ever ever got one or not. Um, but I mean, I'm following you know, we follow each other on Instagram now. But really good guy. And the fact that he uh, he passed up an opportunity to stock two really big bucks just because he knew that I was sitting there and you know waiting that was, he's a good man um but that buck uh yeah i think it was the fifth day of the season i actually pulled out um went back to base camp and uh ran into town got cleaned up um got some, some supplies came back and i didn't have time enough to hike back in um it was probably about a seven mile trip from my base camp into where uh it, it was a wilderness unit and into uh where uh where i expected to find him but i was literally at base camp and i could see this big snowy patch on the side of the mountain the one you know, the same mountain he was on and sure enough i mean i could i could see it with my with my binoculars you know just like little specks on there on the snow i'm like you gotta be kidding me there's bucks there's deer on that snow and i pulled out this, this, the the big sorrow and sure enough it was him and i you know i i've got you know great video and pictures of him just laying there in the snow and uh that was the first time I laid eyes on him since since the hiker had, had blown him out. And uh, the next morning I went in there and put a I I was able to get above him, but my uh, my first my basically my first stock attempt the uh, the number two buck picked me off um, trying to move it trying to get above him. There was just there was nothing. So I'm basically just trying to slither over rocks. Um, you know they're probably 500 yards away and. and he saw something that he didn't like, and he wasn't spooked, but they moved down further in the basin to all these big boulders, and uh, which I thought, great, this is fantastic. As soon as they go to sleep, I can, you know, try to get down there. Um, I can slide down one of the chutes down to, down to the bottom, and then these boulders are like the size of cars, and, man, I can just move from boulder to boulder until I'm close to them. But when they did bed, he laid in the middle, and there's a dozen more bucks, and uh, I got to probably about 100, 120 yards, and I got pinned down by a couple of little yearlings, and one of the little forkies walked right over to me and about stepped on me, and when he realized what I was, he probably got a big whiff of me being that close. He came on glued and ran right through the whole group, just, you know, snorting and blowing, and they, uh, and at this point, I've only got like an hour and a half of daylight left, and I'm in the middle of the basin. It's a big basin, and it's like this is not the place I want to be at dark. Um, but they've got me pinned now. He's just standing up there, you know, and now they're all standing up with him and watching. And it's just like, this isn't going to end well. I have no way to get out of here. You know, I'm in the bottom there. I'm three quarters of the way to the bottom now. I can't, you know, I'm in plain sight no matter what I do. So I literally just stood up behind one of those boulders, grabbed my trekking poles, and, you know, strapped the boat to the back of the, the backpack and pretended like I was a hiker. Uh, I did the same thing. 
And I mean, I just, pretty fast pace, went right straight down the basin, uh, right down the fall line. And, and, you know, I ended up getting to 200 yards away from them. And they were back feeding by the time I walked by them. It totally worked. They just stood there like, oh, it's just another hiker. And I walked all the way down the bottom, all the way around, got back on the main trail and got back to, you know, my, my, my base camp. And, uh, uh, like, all right, well, I gotta <laughs> kind of reboot now. And I went back up there the next morning and he was gone again. And then that whole day I looked for him. Every other buck was in there except for him. And I thought for sure, that's it. You know, I did, you know, it, it took him eight days last time. I'm going to run out of time in the season before, you know, or maybe he'll never come back now. But uh, the very next day uh, it was rainy, and I think I, I think I basically lost the day. Like, I mean, I was just, it was just coming down sideways. Uh, but the the day after that, he was he was back in there. And this time um, I found him, oh, you know, really pretty, you know, shortly after daybreak, and he was, probably three, four hundred yards above all the rest of the bucks. And as they started to bed down, he was still a long ways away from them. And I just kept praying, like, please just lay down up there by yourself. And he started working his way to him, but he only got, he was probably 200 yards away from him. He laid down and uh, I didn't waste any time. Like I, I, I knew he wasn't going to be there long, you know, because as soon as the sun got up over the, over the mountain, I mean, he's, there's no shade there. He would go, I'm sure his next move would have been to join them in the willows. But it wasn't, I, I wasn't going to wait. Um, there was just too many sets of eyes down there, and I needed to move on him while he was there uh, alone. So it was probably about a, I think he was probably about 800 yards away from me. Um, I moved, kind of, I traversed, I basically ran the ridge line as far as I could to get behind him. And basically, all I did was just, I, he was facing downhill, and I got so that, when I, because there's nothing, like I have to go down a chute where if he just turns around, he's got me. I just basically played his ears and his head. And when he was looking down the hill, I was slowly walking straight down the hill and trying not to roll rocks and boulders. And when he would turn, I would freeze. And a couple of times, you know, the sun came, you know, peeked out on me. He wasn't in the sun, but I was. And I just kept thinking, man, I, there was nothing shiny on me. But he just kept looking down and uh, once I, you know, once I got down to the bottom of that chute, then I was able to, you know, I was out of his sight for the lawn. I was able to hustle up and drop pack, get to, then it was, then it was basically easy. Um, and I got, you know, lucky that he didn't move. He stayed there. I was probably, I got to like 45 yards, 44 yards, um, right above him and didn't have a shot. Uh, there was a, you know, a rock blocking his vitals. So I had to wait till he stood and I got really pretty lucky that he did stand when he did. Um, and he was just spinning around basically. He was going to lay right back down there because he kind of spun around like a dog in, in his bed. But there was weather coming in, and um, I would soon find out after I shot him. Cause he, so he stands up, does his little spin, I shoot. But I shot just a little bit low. Like, I mean, it was, it was a hard shot, but I think I literally sliced the bottom of his heart because he takes off, you know, there's good blood, runs off to 80 yards, and just lays down head on the ground, you know, puts his head on the, on the ground, like, he's done, dead. I, I walk back, grab my backpack, I come back, and he's standing. And now I'm like, oh, no. Because I could have crept up and shot him again if I thought he was, wasn't was dead, but I thought he was down. And now he's standing up, and he's just kind of hunched up. I'm like, oh, no. I mean, that shot looked perfect. The only, but obviously I didn't get lungs. 
I mean, I thought I got the bottom of his heart, or I thought I shot him right through the heart. But so at this time, now that storm that was coming in, the clouds are coming in, it's starting to mist, and the temperature drop is dropping. And now the thermals switch. And all of a sudden, the wind that was perfect coming up from him to me, I can feel it in the back of my head. I'm like, oh no. And then you, his head rips around, and he's like, that's why my chest hurts. <laughs> and he starts running away from me. I mean, my heart sank, and I just sit, I'm just kicking myself. I'm like, and he's not running well, right? He's, he's, he, you can tell he's, he's laboring pretty hard. But I had a chance. I could, literally could have walked up there, you know, used those boulders and got up and just stuck him again. But I thought he was dead. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he didn't go, I mean, he literally ran about 150 yards, 200 yards, and just boop, tipped over dead. And, um, I didn't open up his chest cavity to beyond, you know, just getting the tender lines out. So I didn't, I didn't see if it was his lower heart, but that's, I'm guessing I didn't go right through the center of it. I just cut it on the bottom, you know, cut that sack that it's in. And, uh, he was bleeding out on the inside, but not as fast as, you know, whether I'd you know, had a little, you know, an inch higher, I, you know, would have been, he'd have been dead in 30 seconds, a minute, but. So it was it was a little bit of a roller coaster of emotions, but he was he was down, and uh, then I had to figure out how to drag him out of the willows to get some pictures. And I the, the last couple bucks I've killed in Colorado are just beasts of bodied deer. I mean, like uh, I mean better. I'm just getting weak. I mean, I'm getting older, but I mean I had a hard time wrestling him through the the willows. But <clears throat> I mean, it's a, it's a cool backdrop with some. Uh, because we're always so careful not to show too much scenery in your in your uh, photos, but I had some cool cliffs behind me that would be pretty tough for anyone to know where I'm at by the, based on them. But they made for really cool pictures, and I'm super happy with uh, the way that the pictures came out. And he's a uh, yeah, he's he's sitting on my desk. The hero's sitting on my desk now, so it's done deal. What a what a what a wild hunt and um, crazy cool experience, Tony. Yeah, it, same the same way as your late season, I can relate to that early season. The way you describe it all the way through the the really steep terrain, you know, of uh, like you say, barely being able to make it up and then push your limits, which is usually past what what other guys feel comfortable with. But some of those knife blade ridge lines and they're loose. Like as a mountaineer, Ooh. it's the toughest decision is to turn back and not not keep going yeah. and get yourself in that bad situation where you do have a fall or a spill but yeah it it becomes free soloing up there and and i think that's that's why i love hunting mule deer so much you know i love hunting all the different habitats from desert but my favorite has to be that mountain in the in the early seasons and, and the early season and the way it challenges us and then um gosh just your patience uh you know, both with your scouting behind the glass, and um, and, and then really holding to to your target buck that you had seen, and not stalking those two other really good bucks. Uh, that's that's having a lot of confidence in your skills and in your abilities to turn up that buck and get a good arrow in him. And then, I, I mean, just I, I was just riveted through so much of that story. And then the stalk, like, um, you know, the wide open terrain, like you, we find ourselves so much like it's um. It's really good hunting in the high country because it is open and you can keep track of the bucks and where they bed and uh, you're stalking the wide open down that chute and playing that buck's mm -hmm. head and his ears, you know, as he would turn his head, you know, you'd freeze in the rocks and wait and be patient and being 
being quiet and still and slow is so difficult, you know. So, God, yeah. what what an amazing hunt, Tony! It's just so awesome. And then I even to, at the beginning of your story, like talking about finding those bucks, kind of dissecting the habitat, uh, looking in the sage. Mm-hmm. And then looking in the you know the the mid hill or the foothills or where those aspens met the sage and really finding a lot of deer in there, but sometimes where we're hunting it's just not conducive to kill them. And so the the quicker you can cut yeah. your losses and get to the habitat where you can kill them, just the more productive you can be. And I I find myself in that situation like I found myself you know recently in Arizona like down in this desert terrain and I was finding bucks and turning up good bucks, but the desert was so thick down on the floor that I'd get down there and I'd get lost. There was nothing I could do. I wasn't going to kill a buck in there. I could tell it wasn't conducive. And, and same, we found a, a coos deer spot that it had everything you want in a coos deer spot is it had big, big coos bucks and they were ripping around and they were rutting, but we just couldn't kill them in there. It was two yeah. open rolling hills and we couldn't get a good enough play where we could come over a ridgeline. And so like, like you cutting your losses in there, like uh, during your scouting and just going, no, you know, this them disappearing in these trees, this isn't conducive. This doesn't feel normal or the way I normally harvest these big bucks. I've got to get yeah. back to the high country, and I've got to find a shooter up there. Um, man, it's just, what a great story, Tony. Uh, what a great bow hunter you are, like how much you've learned over the years and honed your skills. And, um, you know, it. It's no surprise that you harvested another great deer. You know, you sure put in the work and make the right moves to make it possible. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, it was. Believe me, I was questioning the decision <laughs> to to wait, and that that other buck was. Well, even well, both those other two mature bucks were looking pretty good at that point. And, uh, oh, so yeah, cool about your it, friend you met in Utah too. What a great oh, yeah. guy! Great, respectful. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm always just so surprised at the guys I meet, and and like you say, how you just uh, you were real honest with that guy and told him what you had been going on and how much you had invested in that deer, and for him to turn down the stock on two nice deer and hang out and visit with you and and just let you play that chess game with that buck you're playing. Well, what a stand-up human being! Like you say, there there's some good karma coming that guy's way too. Yeah. No. Well. There, yeah. He. Yeah. Uh, I hope that. Uh... I hope he ended up getting one. I, I never did touch base with him. Uh, I know he uh, he had to leave uh, before I, I think the day before I shot my buck, and then I think he was coming back. I had texted back and forth with him a little bit. I think he was going back in there, but yeah, he would have also had uh, I guess part of maybe part of the decision why he decided not to stalk him is you know he, there was no walking right up the basin. He would have had to walk all the way back to the main road, go down and around, and then come back up the, the way that I basically found. Uh, to get up that get up the mountain and it would have been well it was seven miles back the road so and then it's probably like five miles five and a half miles <laughs> it would have been an all-day trip um but well but yeah he's both ways dude and hope, he did, hope he got one yeah uh yeah that's uh it, it's always great when you can work together you run into guys and can work together but yeah what a great story man that's um, how much does that fulfill you for the year going on an adventure hunt like that where you really challenge yourself? Man, you, you had to just you, – you've fallen in love with it like I have, right? And um, Oh, yeah. God, what a what a cool experience to, to have in your season like that, chasing that buck around and then to get it all right and put a, put a good arrow in him. And then um, 
Boy, it sure is nerve-wracking. Even with a good arrow on animals, sometimes it just takes a weird angle or weird spin, mm-hmm. or like you said, just a touch low and bottom of the heart angle of the arrow. But, boy, it sure makes you nervous when those things get back up like oh. that. My heart sank. Like, I literally, I was just so mad at myself for not, not uh, going up there and just putting another one in them. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I live and learn, I guess. I, yeah. I got lucky. Yeah, yeah, that was a what a what a cool hunt. Yeah, congratulations on a heck of a buck. And then from there, then you were straight into elk hunting. You kind of, you know, the fall is our busiest time, um, and, and you do oh, a good job of booking hunts back to back to back and making one trip out west, and then really hitting these hunts. So after that, didn't you start elk hunting right away? Yep, yep. I uh, I think I left home August eighth, and I didn't get get home until. Uh, uh, on the third week of October, uh, I went to, I had a you know, Montana elk tag that I went uh, from there to hunt, and uh, it took me a few days to get on them uh, and to figure out what was going on, but once I found out where they were feeding, and it was just, that I did not, and it, you know, I ended up hunting for, I think, 10 days before I had to leave there uh, to go to New Mexico for the archery ibex hunt that I had, and between the 10 days that I hunted in Montana before the ibex hunt, and then I ended up going back after my uh, ibex hunt and my Colorado uh, rifle deer or rifle elk hunt, I went back to Montana again for another 10 days. It was the best 20 days of elk hunting I've ever had in my life. I've never, um, I was being pretty picky, I'll say that right now, and like I, I did not shoot a bull. I had lots of opportunities to shoot bulls that I didn't want to shoot. Um, I did get an arrow off at the bull I wanted to kill, and I, man, it's it. You, so many times I've I've been in a situation where you know you're 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 in in the trees or whatever, and you you know, like you're, you 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 can almost feel the limbs around you, and you're like, like I got to crouch down for this shot to get. You know, to have my limbs clear the, the you know, my the bow limbs to clear the tree limbs, or maybe to to, to make sure that the with the structure over there is going to go through a little opening. Well, <clears throat> I finally got an opportunity. You know, I got in between the bull that I wanted and his cows, and he was actually kind of squaring off with another bull, um, another really big old bull. He was a goofy, non-typical, uh, but. Uh, I, I was in the right spot and it was happening and he, you know I've got him at like you know he's, he's walking right to me and he's I think it was 42 yards I mean it was a chip shot I mean I was able to to, to range the spot where he's gonna break through the trees I had the, the pin dialed I'm drawn but the problem is I drew my bow when he's like probably 60 70 yards away walking to me and I'm looking straight down the hill and as he swung or as he moved to my, my left I swung the bow to my left and I moved a bow right underneath the tree limb. And when I loosed the arrow, it was like, I, I thought my bow blew up. I mean, wood was just like, I mean, it was an explosion. Wood just blew up in my face, you know, tree bark and or pine, you know, pine crap in my, you know, just everywhere. Um, the hoist held together. The bow was fine, but I watched that, that arrow sail low right underneath them. You know, it just pushed the bow down. And, uh, and I just exploded a tree limb above my head. I basically swung the bow right underneath. And 
I was able to get back on him when I, you know, after I, after I headed to New Mexico and Colorado, I, I went back up there and I actually found him again. And uh, I had a couple of chances on him and passed up several other bulls. Um, I actually found even bigger bulls and uh, they get, you know, I, I found it was it was absolutely the best elk hunt I've ever been on. I literally had opportunities on bulls almost every day. I bet there was probably only two or three days that I didn't have like a a moment where like I had to make a decision: am I going to shoot this bull or not? Or I had to play on the bigger bull that I had and I just messed it up uh, or something happened. And I mean, yeah, it, it, you just think of a way that you could mess up an elk hunt, and that happened to me at least one time during the hunt. I mean, everything. From other hunters to critters, uh, you know, coyotes coming in to, I had uh, the biggest, this was like, so after I've, I've actually found a bigger bull now, even than the one that I spent, you know, majority of the hunt on, and I didn't have time to move, move, make a move on him in the afternoon, so I literally watched him just get up out of his bed and start feeding me before dark, and the next morning, I was in, I was in his bed waiting for him, basically, and, uh, and it was working perfectly. He was working right up to me, two other bulls with him. You know, it's it's this at this point it's you know it's it, there's only a couple of days left in the season, so it's mid October, and he's not really thinking about cows. They're just they're just feeding, and he's I mean I'm 20 yards downwind of his, the bed he was in the day before, and I'm like this is gonna work. And then this bull's I don't even want to say how big, but I mean he was <coughs> he was he was really really big, and he's coming to me. It's, everything's working perfect. They're probably 120 yards away. And you know the winds. The wind's not coming from them to me. It's it's quarter and uh, like a ninety. Uh, and what happens? Except for seven mule deer does come around the little, you know, the little uh, mound I'm on, downwind to me, like fifty yards downwind to me, and just all start snorting and stomping their feet. <laughs> And, and they just stay there, and, and he stops out there. Those three bulls stop out there, and they look at those does, and they're just staring at him. They can't see me, they can't smell me, but they're just looking at those does. Like that big one knew something was up to the point where the two other bulls kind of just wandered away. That big one turned around and started running, and I was able to. I mean, I can wide open terrain. I can see for miles. I watched him run for three miles, and he never stopped. And he and, and that was it, and I never saw him again. And that was just based off him watching does snort. <laughs> and, but he was, he was, yeah, he was, he was pushing, you know, he was, yeah, he's pushing for hundred inches. I, I, it was, I've never seen a bull like that before. But probably never, you know, who knows if uh, whatever happened to him, uh, but. Man. It, was a, it was a great hunt, but in, in the end, I mean, even the, the very last day that I was there, uh, the very last day of season, I actually got back on the bull that I, had, uh, you know, that I hit the, the tree limb with my, my bow limb, and I got, I found him again, and I snuck in, in the dark, uh, using the, you know, like the, the train just to, it's wide open, but I was in a creek bed to get up into the area where he was, uh, where, I, where I thought he'd be feeding or on the edge of it. And I literally walked right by him. Like I, and, but he didn't, you know, he didn't smell me, didn't hear me, didn't see me. So I'm sitting there waiting, days breaking. And I've, and like, I have a, it's a three mile walk to get to where I'm at. <laughs> and I, I literally just got this feeling like, maybe I should turn around and 
glass behind me. And I turn around, and he's 100 yards away staring at me. And I'm perfectly silhouetted from that from that angle. Like, you know, the, the spot where I thought he was going to be at was perfect, but, you know, he would never see me, but he literally came up right behind me. And then, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> one thing after another. I, I, uh, I was on big bulls every day, but, man, I just could not make it happen in Montana. So... Man, what a uh, glad to hear you had a good hunt. It's amazing. I've always said, um, you know, these bulls, uh, these uh, public land bulls in Montana are, are are one of the toughest trophies to obtain. And especially, I wanted to connect with you, but our dates just didn't work out. I was gone when you were here, and then, you know, yep. uh, you were gone when I was when I was hunting. But um, man, oh man, and. You know these these public land elk. There's a lot of good mountain ranges and good tags and good elk action uh, you can get into. But mm-hmm. um, you know those those elk, like the the ones we're hunting over there, man, are those things switched on. And and when they get oh. to that older yeah. age class, like that giant one you saw or the giant one you're chasing, you know those bulls are six, seven, eight years old. And so you're hunting high pressure elk. And those high-pressure elk have made it through multiple seasons of avoiding predators, so they they just know how to pick up on things and pick you up. So you just can't get away with anything. But do you find that as well that those are really high-pressure elk over there that are really switched oh. on more so than the than the average? I've never seen elk like them before. <laughs> like, like I've snuck into bedded you know a, a bedded bull with cows, got to like 60, 70 yards, but I don't have a shot. This was uh, the, last, the season before that I'd hunted. This, this I didn't use my calls this time at all, but so I guess it was uh, the year before uh, I drew the same tag. And I snuck in, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm 50, 60, 70 yards, whatever, from he's got his cows. He's even given, like, a little, like, like little half-ass bugles once in a while from his bed. I'm just going to rip a challenge bugle at him and, and see what he does. And you would have thought that... I threw a, uh, like a handful of firecrackers into the middle of that herd of elk. They ran for a mile and a half, and I, I was a pretty good bugle. Like, you, I just I've, I've left the calls at home in that unit. I just cannot find that you know, meal. For me, they're they they know what what's going on when you start calling, and it's just I've never. They remind me of whitetails in the Midwest. I mean, they are they are the spookiest elk I've ever seen. Yeah, I run into that same thing. Um, some of these high-pressure spots, they have great elk pe- populations and big ones, but, man, are they switched on. They know humans are their one predator, and they're looking for us out there. And yeah, I, uh, like you compare them to whitetails, I compare them to antelope. Like they, they are so switched on and so crafty and so good at catching me that, yeah, normal uh, uh, mountain elk or wilderness elk that I'd run into, you know, I can get away with moving at the edge of an opening or move, but those things, they just don't let you get away with no. anything. They just no. require that you're at the top of your game. But, um, I, I'm glad you had a good hunt there and a good experience. Uh, it sounds like you were chasing the bull you wanted and, um, 20 days of chasing them. And sometimes it just doesn't come together. That's just the way of the world. Yeah, no, I had, yeah. I mean, the very first day I literally passed seven bulls. I walked up to a, uh, uh, three or four of them that were better together well, there ended up being four. I only saw three, and that's actually what why they blew out the fourth one and caught me. But um, at the af- after I passed those, and one of them was actually a young seven by seven. Um, I bet you the first time he got into a little sparring match, uh, he was a spike. Like he was, his main beams were so thin, 
but he had they were long. I mean, he he probably would have scored three thirty, but he was uh, just so thin. After I passed all those, those bulls, I'm like, you know what? I'm not. This is you know, and then and I was seeing big ones every day. I'm like, this is going to be the hunt for. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna settle and just and I'm happy with it. I, I mean, I would have loved to have came home with either one of those two big ones that I was chasing, but it just just didn't work out. I ran into. Um, I wasn't the only one in there chasing them either, though. There was I ran into several other guys. I actually, the last couple of years, I've I've been running into people and they recognize me, and it's uh, it's pretty awkward for me. Uh, I don't like I, you know, I, and, and and they're good. I mean, like the one guy that I ran to in Montana, we ended up hunting that morning together and putting a move on uh, on the elk. I mean, it was we were actually kind of coyote in the same herd of elk. Uh, I got in front of him, and then he came up behind him. But meanwhile, I mean. Like th- those elk in that unit that we're talking about, they, I've never seen elk that know exactly where property lines are like those elk are. And then, you know, I'm skirting in between sections of the private, and they all, you know, they're all on the private. And you know, and he, this guy comes up behind the herd, and and I and I pretty much think that, you know, I've, I've I'm late too. Like I didn't get in front of him. Um, and he comes up, and we're talking. And he's like, he's like I think I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> and then uh, we so we're talking. I'm like, oh god, this is awkward. And, uh, but then we're standing there, we were talking for 10, 15 minutes and it's like the bugles of that herd that we were both working and we thought was on the private is turned around and they're coming back. And like, dude, we better get set up here. Um, let's just spread out here and hopefully they jump the fence and come over. We watched, oh, I, I, I guess 150 elk walk by us. Literally like some of them were rubbing up against the fence on the wrong side of the fence. Not a single one of those elk came on our side of the fence and they all walked right by us. I was 25 yards from the fence. I think he was 17 yards from the fence. And when I'd look over at him and he just like, you could just see him like, just, he just wanted to cry. Right. I mean, there was several bulls there that were over 350 and one that was, I'd, I'd put him at, we both put him at about 365 and we just had to watch him. We had, we couldn't do anything about it. Just, they just walked right by us. They know exactly where those fences are. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool moment. We we both you know agreed afterwards. You know we were talking after they moved on through that we heard when during the process of them walking by every elk vocalization vocalization I've ever heard or even ever heard of. Like there was a couple of cows in the back of the pack doing that uh, what people call the estrus whatever the the estrus whine or I mean she was just just over and over and over with that real nasally. Uh, cow call. I mean, and I mean, we heard everything. They were so vocal as they walked by. Um, it was it was pretty cool, even though we, you know, basically just had to watch them walk by within range. Uh, but yeah, it's it's what happens. Man, it's such thrilling hunting. Um, yeah, I I just love chasing around all the different places. But it's so fun when you get into that action like that, like like you had. Oh, yeah. You said some of the best elk hunting you'd you'd ever been on, and and same with me. Mm-hmm. I saw some of the best elk hunting I've ever seen this year. Just time things right and in in good places and able to locate them. Man, it was sure fun. Um, well, uh, before I let you go, Tony, I've got to hear. It's always been my dream to draw one of those ibex tags. So. Um, it, yeah. is it, uh, is extremely difficult as they make it out for those Ibex? Well, it's, 
that mountain is pretty unforgiving. Um, I trashed, <clears throat> excuse me, I trashed uh, my boots that I was up there. I, mean, I had brand new boots going up there, and literally just from the sharpness of the rocks of you know crawling around in there, I like the side that were just ripped up. They were they were really? synthetic boots, they oh. weren't leather, but oh my god, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's just a gnarly uh-huh. mountain range, super steep and really rough. Yeah, it's everything is sharp. Everything has thorns. Everything you know, I, I ran into. I almost stepped on one rattler. I saw two or three others from a distance, you know, from 10 feet away or whatever. I saw them first. But I mean, I literally was like on a stalk on a, a group of Ibex and was putting my foot down in some grass and looked down and he's, there was one coiled up. He didn't strike at me. I mean, he, he had me if he wanted me. I was, you know, almost on top of him. Uh, and he just kind of hissed and I launched myself backwards on involuntarily. Like there was no choice. Like, you know, pull your foot back and jump backwards. My body just did it. And I got really lucky because it was actually kind of a cliffy area. And I mean, I, I fell like six, eight feet and kind of stuck the landing. And I was like, oh, shit, that could have been worse than the snake bite. But, I mean, they were all over that mountain. And, um, you know, that was, I was lucky enough. I, another uh, a friend, Ryan Gentry, he drew the tag, too. And so we had a, we had a group of guys there on the bottom glassing for us. And he, uh, he, he, which that's the way to hunt. That is not a hunt to do alone. Um you know, every night the, the helicopters are flying above us, you know, they're picking up illegals uh, crossing, you know, one of the guys in camp there knew one of the border patrol and they're like, oh yeah, we've got six guys running drugs, you know, on miles from your camp, you know, last night. And like, there was, you know, we found a baby rattler. Someone actually stepped on it and, and accidentally killed it, like right next to our lawn chairs where we were glassing from on the bottom. Uh, it was just, I mean, we're walking around there in flip-flops and like all of a sudden someone's like, uh, put this dead baby rattler right here next to my chair, and like well, no one did. Like we just accidentally killed it. Oh no! <laughs> there was there was so many, and I had my chances too. I got a shot at a monster billy, and I passed up lots of nannies and lots of really young billies. Um, but I yeah, I had a I had a shot, uh, and it was and it was working out perfect. You gotta those there's no runways, there's no game trails on that entire mountain. Those things don't know where they're going. They don't use the same spot twice. And most of the time when they're also just jumping from rock to rock to rock. So there's there's hardly any, there's really no trails on the, you know, on that mountain. Um, so you just got to try to guess where they're going to go because they don't even know and then get in front of them. And uh, I did, I managed to, with, you know, with the guys down below spotting for me, I was able to get in position and, you know, they were just one after another feeding by me at 45 yards. And, you know, I knew the big ones were at the at the tail end. And I let a couple of good billies go walk by. And there was all kinds of nannies that walked by until one nanny just decided that she didn't want to keep following the group. She's going to lay down right in front of me. But the position I'm in, so I'm like, I'm like on a, you know, a vertical wall. Uh, so I can't see them coming. They're like coming around this wall of rock and then just popping out in front of me at like 50 yards and I'm wedged in between that and a big boulder like the size of a you know a Volkswagen bus and I'm kind of got my feet like pushing almost like a like a wedge or an anchor to hold me up and it was no big deal if I could move once in a while and, and just like at least flex my ankle and let some blood roll in there but when she laid down right there facing me I I mean, I, I held as long as I could, and you know, eventually I, I must have moved because she caught caught something, and you know, they're curious, you know, it's just you know, she she's looking up there and she starts walking towards me, and she's cocking her head sideways like a dog, you know, like looking at me like, what is that? 
and there's not a stitch of skin exposed at me. Like I've got my face mask up. I mean, the only thing exposed is right on my eyes. You know, I got the bow, the cam, even in front of my in front of my eyes. So that you know, she, she, there's no way that I mean, I, and I, at that point I wasn't moving, and she just kept walking. And meanwhile, the ibex are piling up behind her, and, and now they don't want to walk through because one of them is alerted, and she gets up to probably 12 yards from me. And, me, and meanwhile, they're starting to move. They're they're kind of like, well, screw her. Let's just move on through, and the big one comes out. And at, at that point, I mean, she's literally like right next to me and looking at me and cocking her head sideways and looking at me like, what is that? And I just did the slow draw. I'm like, this is it. I know, I already, I have that bush range. I know where it's at. This is the one I was waiting for. And, but because of the fact that I was, she had me pinned down, I, I did the slow draw thing, got the anchor. I wasn't, I didn't like lift up off the rock enough because I knew there was vegetation like four feet in front of me that I had to shoot over. And I just forgot. And sure enough, I clipped. I clipped one of those little like uh, it almost looks like a long yucca leaf. But I clipped one of those things and skipped uh, skipped the arrow underneath them. And uh, that was my one one good chance at a big one. Uh, the last day, I had another chance uh, at a whole big group, uh, and I just didn't. I didn't. I, I got I guess the wrong kind of like a little point to creep over and once I did they had me you know I couldn't move I couldn't move back and they moved down you know one more point they, they traversed across I mean if I had just guessed the other one they would have all just marched right by me but that but so after they all moved past me and I'm starting to like like thinking well maybe if I now that they've all moved past I can move ahead you know they were they were moving up there but they're they're night travelers. they don't they're not up at night. They're literally sleeping in the cliffs and on the top of those flat plateaus at night where the, the mountain lion can't get them at night. And then they're up all day long. So come at dark, they're they're hustling back up to those cliffs to, to go to sleep. And I'm watching them go up this this cliff. And at this point, they're like, you know, they're out past 100 yards. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to shoot at something that small. But, and they don't hold still uh, that far. So I'm just watching. And the lead nannies are like in a little group and they're going up this and they can literally run up things that are vertical. I've, they make mountain goat look clumsy. I've never seen a critter like this, but they're, they're probably, there's one last row of vegetation on this, on this before it's just vertical and it goes up a couple hundred feet and that's where they've been sleeping at night and a mountain lion pounces down and that he charged straight down. Um, a couple other guys were glassing for me, watched it too ran straight down at these these ibex and these nannies split like a like a school of fish like if a big predator fish like darts in the middle and the school splits they totally just did that on the rock while they're running basically almost you know across this near vertical face and he comes charging down out of that bush and, and i'm just like wow this is the coolest thing i've ever seen there's a third mountain lion that i ran into this this fall and he's just, and it, but this one was giant. Like he's standing there, like they've already split. And now he's got nothing, and he's just looking around. Like he's 200 yards away from me. I'm glass. I'm just thinking, God, I wish I had my spying scope and my, you know, my phone scope so I get this on video. And the muscles in his chest and his legs was just like, he was, it was crazy. He was so big. Well, he ends up putting another stock. He starts sneaking again because the ibex regrouped up a couple hundred yards away, and he sneaks in again, blows it again. And they run around the mountain the other side where I couldn't see him, but the guys down below actually said he did it again, a third stock in on them and got one. He got one of the nannies um, while I was uh, while I was hiking down in the dark or right before dark. And uh, yeah, he was 
he wasn't he wasn't letting them go and but yeah pretty pretty cool experience just to see that but but there was no uh there was no uh billy for me to take home this year it was a cool hunt and i'll put him for it again for sure but um i think it's very doable um i mean i had my chances i should have had one there's it, it was just my own error that i didn't and uh but it's definitely i wouldn't do that hunt alone there's no way that uh just for a safety aspect, you know, there's so many times you're you know, sliding down something or you, know, you get bit by a rattlesnake and you're out there alone or, you know, I, I think we had so many trucks and tents set up there that I think any illegal activity was going around us probably just didn't want anything to do with us. And, but if you're alone out there, I don't know if it'd be the same. And, uh, you know, while we were there too, uh, a couple of hikers tried to actually backpack and live up on the mountain. Well, there's not much water up there. I mean, I found a couple of pools basically, but they weren't near the top. These guys had to actually get rescued off the mountain. They got a, they got a heat stroke and ran out of water. And the border patrol actually went up there and got them. Um, it's, it's it's no joke. He gets hot and it's everything there is trying to kill you. Man, um, yeah, what a what a cool experience uh, watching that mountain lion. Um, those are the ultimate hunter. They they have. Uh, They've just evolved throughout the years to be such good hunters. They're so patient to have, to have that mountain lion give it three different attempts and then finally get one. And uh, they're not just trying to get into bow range and make a shed like tooth and claws to jump on that thing's back. That's just wild. Oh, yeah, I, I, it was. Uh, sorry, it I was, thought I lost was, you there, Tony. But yeah, that. Oh. Um, and what a crazy cool experience getting stocks on those things and uh, uh, roughness of terrain and hot weather, man. That sounds trying and challenging. And um, I, I like your tips about not going alone, you know, for both the illegal no. activity and then danger in the cliffs and the, the snakes. And it sounds like uh, it really helps you out glassing from the bottom too, knowing oh, yeah. knowing what the, the animals are doing up on the hill. So would you like try to head up there? Would you sit in glass and then try to make a play and get above some? Or yeah. would you just spend the day up there? Or? Well, every morning basically. I mean, it was it, – it gave me anxiety the first morning when those guys were like, yeah, we're, we sleep in. Like we wake up as, with the sun. When it gets daylight, we get out, out of our tent. <laughs> like what? This is this this I you know, I wake up instantly like and I'm like with sweating like oh my god I'm late I, I, you know I got to hustle but yeah just pull out lawn chair figure out where they're at because every day they're somewhere new and you never know which little plateau they're gonna sleep on or what cliff cliffs they're gonna sleep in and there's a bunch of them I mean they're spotting them from down below is not hard um, figuring out where they're going to go to eat for the day is the hard part because they don't know and like one can roll a rock off accidentally and the whole herd runs for a mile like they don't they're just they're scatterbrained schizophrenic and absolutely clueless about where they're going to go um they've got eyes like a pronghorn a nose like an elk um and they can hear pretty good too uh, i mean i actually think that nanny that bedded in front of me actually probably just heard my boots grinding on the rock as i just tried to twist you know to get some blood back in my ankles there so the you know the play was basically once you, they kind of started feeding an area to try to get in between them and where they were going to either, you know, hopefully maybe feed to India, but more, more, more than likely, you know, where they're going to end up at the end of the night when they go back to bed and, uh, having a spotter down below is, is the way to go. Cause you know, you're in, you're in a lot of times in a spot where you can't see them 
and you gotta, you know, you're sitting there waiting for them, you know, where you think they're gonna go through, and you're gonna try to ambush them. But uh, man, I've never, I've never hunted an animal that had eyesight like that, and uh, they could pick you out from a long ways away. And then, like I said, they, they get scared easy. So I think uh, you know those guys got it. You know, the guys that I was hunting with are locals and early, you know, from New Mexico, and they're uh, that's that's the way to do it. I uh, I think that guys that hunt, try to hunt them alone, or you know, that's probably why that success rate is so so low. Um, Ryan and I both got shots at them, so I it's just we both just messed up. So man, how cool! Um, what yeah. a neat experience, just something totally different. And I always like. Uh, uh, a new species in a new environment, like just glassing them and seeing a, a Billy Ibex and the nannies and how they act and tendencies. Yeah. That's really fun to try to try to solve the puzzle and figure them out and get a shot and get in front of them. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was fun. Do it again. Yeah, how cool. Well, uh, Tony, you go on so many awesome adventures and you, uh, it, you're you're always going on new ones and looking for new habitats and new places. You spend a ton of time scouting. Like I get a ton of motivation from following you and, and hearing your stories and you just do so well on the podcast, man, the stories. Um, I'm ready to go hunting or at least get my applications in and hopefully draw one of these things. Oh God. I love application season. Jody hates it uh, because my computer is always open to, you know, research and something, but man, I just, the uh, the hope and the like the anticipation of like you know what am i going to draw this year you know you always got your like your standby over the counter tags or you know ones that are like my kansas hunt that i'm going to draw that that's 100 percent um and that's always a great hunt and then you know you got the you know shooting for the stars and you know like the you know the states ready to supply for the best tag and this year you know I've got my loyalty point and my hunter red down in Arizona. So, I mean, I hunted elk there in 2016, but I'm back to five points now. And I'm looking at a couple of like late archery hunts that I could, I could draw. They're, they're, they're going to be a pain in the ass. They're going to be hard, but I'm leaning towards giving it a shot and trying it because it's like, man, I'd rather hunt Arizona every five or six years on a really hard late season hunt than every 10, 12 years on a, uh, you know, a, a hunt that's, just out of this world so yeah that's i haven't applied for i haven't i haven't clicked submit yet i've literally been pondering what to do and plus i'll be married uh by you know here shortly and i i gotta, I gotta be careful now i think how many hunts i book on I, I, she's told me uh that i can i'm allowed to I'm allowed to have three months a year which has pretty much been the average uh i think in 2018 i was gone for four months um so I, I I definitely found the right woman because I don't think I've ever met another lady that would let me get away with that. But uh, I still got to be careful because you apply in every state, and the next thing you know, you start hitting the easier tags, and it's like, oh crap, I'm leaving in July, and I'll, I'll see you in December. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to go very well. I, I know it. I keep pushing the goal line as well and keep coming up with other hunts I want to do. And then you find a good hunt that you like and you want to go do it again or go on it again. So uh, I keep moving the goal line as well. And hunting season uh, goes for a long time in our household now. So, yeah, I got to be careful, too. And just um, just make sure that I can give the proper amount of effort and focus and scouting to these tags that I do draw, you know, and, and give it my all in there, my best chance at success. But uh, I'm with you, man. The 
the the tag season application season i I just love all the research and the possibilities Mm. and the the chance it may be drawing you know one of these these really sought after tough to draw tags and then like you say the ones that you you plan on drawing your general season but it's really fun to to plan out your fall and um and get excited about it and uh, put in the research and hopefully put yourself in a good unit where there's some good critters. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like the, the feeling of like when you're a little kid, uh, you know, Christmas morning that, you know, it's like, Oh, I know there's something underneath that tree for me. It's like, there's, I'm going to draw something. It might just be some, you know, you know, nothing special hunts, but you know, one way or another, there's going to be a couple tags of my name on it this fall. And, yeah, I love this time of, time of the year. Yeah, I've, I've also looked at that. AZ, they just have such big bulls down there, and those late-season hunts are, are really tough, and it's uh, post-rut bulls, but that's pretty much what I cut my teeth hunting around here is general-season post-rut bulls. So as long as there's just a chance for a big one, like I, I've also looked at those and thought about going all-in on one of those. Uh, but the prospect of also being able to hunt Arizona during the rut um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a long ways away from me. It's a 24-hour drive down there, so I want to make sure that I that I have a good hunt. But yeah, it's constantly just weighing your options and uh, uh, thinking about uh, your season and what you like to draw and where you'd like to hunt. But yeah, it's fun. Yeah, 24 hours—that's just a day and a half. You're good. You could you could still sleep six hours and make it there by the next day. <laughs> that's right. It's not too bad. I travel pretty good. That's right. You're even further away, aren't you? You know what's you know well yeah for me to go to Colorado uh, or Montana is like a 24 hours but when I was in Montana then I went to New Mexico and then uh, you know after the New Mexico hunt I had the Colorado uh, rifle elk hunt and then I went back to Montana but it was oh I think it was further from New Mexico to Montana I'm basically going from Mexico to Canada it was further between them than it was from my house in Michigan to like Nevada I mean it's it was crazy. Um, that was the longest one, but yeah, I made that trip twice this year. Uh, it was, I think I put 13,000 miles on the truck between, from the time I left in July or August, uh, and, you know, until the time I got back from Kansas. Man. Um, a lot of driving. Yeah. A lot of driving, a lot of seat time. Um, yeah, well, and you um, you just you just got to travel and then make sure you're getting out stretching and um, at least for me I have to get out stretch a little bit but I, oh, I like yeah. to get there and then get hunting and start putting some miles on and I start feeling pretty good again. Um, but yeah, that's just part of hunting the West, isn't it? A blue collar bow hunter, you just uh, you put a lot of miles on and do a lot of traveling from here to there to hit those hunts. But congratulations on that that Colorado hunt too, putting down that nice bull and then um, do you have a good Kansas hunt this year? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, it wasn't, uh, I'm not proud of my shooting. Uh, I found, I found a bow or a, a buck that, uh, it actually took me a little while to, I didn't draw the either species this year, so I was limited to whitetail, and I found a buck, I, I was probably there close to a week before I found him, and I mean, I'm getting pretty picky down there now in eight years. I mean, I can usually find a, a, a booner whitetail every year, and so I'm, if, you know, if they're not 170 or better, I'm, I'm letting them, letting them slide and uh when i finally found one um it was right before dark the next morning i found him he had broke off one of his brows he's got like you know eight inch nine inch brow tines he snapped one of them in half so but i he was still a no-brainer but i uh i got on him washed him bed i mean everything was going perfect uh i used those uh 
the, the decoys that you know that mount my bow, or, or you can use like a ground stake or handle that uh, the heads up decoys, and I absolutely love them things. They they work so well in Kansas. It should be illegal. I mean, it's ridiculous. So basically, the game, you know, I just got within, you know, washed in bed with his doe. There was another buck that kept coming in, which is perfect. You know, he's trying to steal the doe, so that buck gets up, runs him off, which is like, I just got to get in there before that happens again, and then I'm going to get a shot. Uh, I got to like 45 yards. She actually got up. She saw the decoy that I had attached to my bow. Comes right to me, like 20 yards. She's just standing there, feeding. He gets up, sees me pins the ears back and just, I mean, they, they all do it down there. And it's, I, I don't know if it's because the train's so open. I've had them racked well in, in Eastern Montana, but not as well as Kansas. He pins his ear back and just comes to me, but he was walking right down a fence line. And I mean, it was a chip shot. It was 30 yards and you're shooting through, it's, I think it was a five wire bar, barbed wire fence. I mean, I got, I got permission for, you know, five square miles around me to, to hunt. So it's, not a, an issue of shooting on your, you know, I've got permission on yours for that fence, but the fence is still in between us. And it's like, it's like, a, you know, the old, you know, a tree is 80% air uh, idea. You know, I'm thinking there, I was going to slide right through there. Well, it did, but it deflected and hit low and back. And he runs out, you know, another 15, 20 yards and is just standing there. So I'm like, put another one in him. Hit the, hit the fence again. And this time it shoots like between his legs. You've got to be kidding me. What are the odds that I'm doing this? And that, so now he runs out and beds down. He gets up. I try to shoot again, and I'm I'm just frazzled by this point. And he's a little bit further out there, and I missed. Well, long story short, I literally emptied my quiver, and he's still still standing or still laying there, and I can't get any closer. I can't find any of my arrows. The other buck comes up, scoops up the doe, and takes off with the doe. My buck. I mean, he's it's he's got a shot through, you know, looks like just behind the diaphragm. He's gonna die. I just need to, I just need just need to lay there, and or me go get more arrows. But he tried follow. He he got up and he started walking after that other buck and that other doe. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. So and I got no arrows, but I I gotta watch him where he goes. So I creep up to where he was at and I'm watching him over the thing, and they kind of they went over they went over a little small rise. I couldn't see anymore. So I hustled back. I mean, I ran back to my truck. Grab a bunch more arrows, drive around the, the you know the country mile block where I could see from the other way. Park, you know, and I can see them out there. And now they're all three laying down again, in a in a cut wheat field, you know, 600 yards off the road or 500 yards off the road. And I'm like, oh, just just die. And eventually that other buck left, and they uh, he tried to get up, and I'm like, all right, he can't even get up. And, you know, and, and he's he's down. So I'm like, I go, I drive all the way back around to the original side, sneak in, and, and there's nothing in between us. It's kind of like I did with my Colorado buck. I just got behind him where the opposite direction he was looking and just crept up. And uh, I think I was probably about 50 yards. I'm like, all right, this is close enough. I'm just going to put another arrow in him. You know, he's laying there, um, but his feet are kicked out away from me. So I'm kind of shooting. I'm going to basically try to slip it in underneath his spine. And I had that quiver or that, that, that decoy on my bow just in case he turned around i could hunker down behind that and hopefully he'd just stand up and give me a shot i should have took it off my bow because it's midday by now now and you know if there's one attribute about that or one bad thing about that you know decoy mounted on your bow you can catch the wind with it and uh, it did and i shot back again and it's like you gotta be kidding me so he, stand, he jumps up he runs 
and this and now he's you know he runs a half mile disappears in a little low bottom i drive around to that side park and get walk up there and just you know his snowy white antlers you know and it's it's probably like three four foot crp but just i just caught a glimpse of him and laying there i was able to get like 10 yards from him and he knows i'm there like he's looking right at me through the grass but he won't stand up and i literally just like well i'm just gonna walk right to him and maybe i'll stand up for a split second oh i did that three times in a row and he would jump up I mean, I'm, I'm at full draw, walking towards him. He would jump up, and, and in hindsight, I, should, I knew where he was bedded. And see, at this point now, I've already, like, went past the just leave him lie. I'm, I'm, I'm in mode, like, just get him dead. Like, I'm just sick to my stomach about it. But three different times, I walk up to him, and he jumps up so fast. And I'm at full draw. I'm thinking, I'm going to be able to get in the rear with him. And I've whiffed all three times. And eventually, I'm like, what are you doing? Just just stop he's not going very far i backed out uh actually ran into some buddies told him about it and they're like dude don't worry about it he's he's not going far i'm like yeah i know but it's like i just wanted to i just wanted to end it so bad that i i mean my brain literally went into a mode where i forgot like what i'm supposed to do like don't you know just and i, I backed out uh i went home tried to eat some food um actually laid down for a little bit got up at, i think i set my alarm for 10:30 at night got up uh drove out there and he was stiff as a board and i found him but it was like just like i yeah i've never shot that many arrows at one animal and i was just you know, like you know i they compounded you know once that once the first couple of mistakes where you hit the fence my nerves were frazzled and you know i was you could you could just feel a target pack panic coming in and you know then the wind catches my bow and then i'm then I'm trying to something that's pretty much impossible. I'm trying to sneak up on this buck when he's laying there in the CRP and put pointing him at point blank when he knows what's up. It was just, uh, it wasn't my proudest moment and I lost a lot of arrows and I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quick and clean. And that's, that's what, yeah, it stings a little bit, but I got him, but it was just, man, it, yeah, it left me with a little bit of a, bad taste in my mouth that I I had such a piss poor shooting uh, you know day and well so there's a little bit extra emphasis this year on uh, blank mailing during the winter and maybe you know cause I, 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 you know, I'll use a hinge all summer long and then switch to a trigger come fall and uh, maybe this is the year that uh, I stick with the hinge or maybe I or switch to a thumb uh, for the season and leave the uh, index trigger at home i just you just don't you know you don't want those that feeling yeah i i'm with you um i love how honest you are about your experience with it and then you know how honest you are with your feelings and because you you feel bad and like um all of a sudden it puts a bad mark on a great hunt like you found the buck you wanted you put in the time you got a good shot at him but yeah it, it almost uh uh puts a bad mark on the experience because you do feel so bad and your heart hurts and it's like a, you just want to get them killed and then like you say mistakes start compounding around mistakes but dude I just like how honest you are with the situation because that happens to all of us we all make mistakes we all make bad shots and sometimes like you say they compound and we end up one bad mistake after the next and it's really hard to share that but it's so important 
you know, for like our audience that listens, you know, both beginner hunters and experienced hunters, because it happens to all of us. And because it bothers you, you want to get better from it and continue to work on your shooting. I mean, you, you just have the, the perfect attitude to improve and be a great bow hunter because of that. Cause it, it happens to all of us. Um, You know, it, it's just the – it doesn't always happen the way we want, but, boy, it sure feels good when it does. When we do execute oh. that perfect shot, put it in the perfect place, everything goes right. We're the, we're the hero, you know, in our own minds. It's just you feel so good about the accomplishment and the experience, and it, you know, it, it adds to the experience when you execute a good shot. But, man, Tony, um, what a great buck and a great season you had, man. I mean, that – it happens to all of us. It's it's just so awesome that you can share that with the audience, you know. And and um, man, I yeah, just kudos to you for the buck, and and kudos to you for continuing to try to make the right move. And you know, eventually you got a hold of yourself and said, hey, this isn't working. Trying to shoot yeah. this buck on the move at ten, you know, hold, I've got to reset my brain, you know, go back yeah. and fall asleep, give him some time, and then he's dead. And then you know, and, and then I I bet you know. You start feeling better about it, you know, after that. But yeah, that those ones sting, don't they? The mind remembers our failures way more than our successes, oh. and our failures just drive us to be better, to improve more. You know, I know for me, you know, even you know, with a successful season, and I I do remember those successes and those highs as they were great in the adventure. But the lows are the ones that that cut me deep, that I think about all year, mm-hmm. that keep me, you know, out on the trails running, that keep me shooting my bow day in, day out. It's those, those failures that, that the human brain brain really remembers that, that hit home that you don't forget. But it's a good thing, too. It's making us better. Yeah. Now, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, having the bad shooting day with that whitetail in Kansas and then not capitalizing in Montana and, uh, and uh, New Mexico on uh, those two hunts, far more in my mind than you know the the colorado archery deer and the colorado firearm elk that were you know everything worked out eventually perfect and yeah those ones well those are great great memories they uh they aren't the ones that i lie you know lie in bed sleeping or thinking about before sleep every night so i know it it's like uh my wyoming hunt you know is uh you know, with that in Colorado, back to back, a uh, 14 days of mule deer hunting, and so many stocks, and I made mistakes too, and I missed a good sticker buck, and um, but it's so trying the last couple days without food, and uh, really pushing my limits. But but that's the hunt I think back on, you know, as I think back of my season, is that one that I that I failed on, that I want redemption. But that redemption, it drives us for the next year. It seems like you know. Um, you know, if we had a failure on on mule deer or on elk, it seems like you you put so much more effort into it, and you really hone, uh, uh, you know, work with your bow and, and get uh, even more proficient with it. And then the next season, you punch that giant bull that you've been after. You know, you make it happen. So, uh, redemption is a powerful tool. Yep, I'll uh, hopefully have some, some tags to, to chase them around, and I'd, uh, I mean, I'd, yeah. One one really cool tag every year, and I mean I'm I'm just happy hunting the OTC stuff for the general seasons too. But it, it uh, either way, even if I'm just even if it's limited this year and I hunt a little bit less, uh, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it, and it'll be uh, it'll be good either way. 
That's going to be awesome. Well, I can't wait. I'll be following along and keeping in touch with you, Tony. Uh, you do so good on the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time and being on and uh, sharing uh, you know, authentic, uh, honest stories and experiences. It really helps out my audience. We really appreciate it. So uh, thanks, Tony, man. I really appreciate your friendship. No, I, I appreciate you asking to be on, and I appreciate your friendship as well. And uh, and I and I've, I know I've talked to other people about this too, but the the live hunts you did the series uh, last year was awesome. I would love to see that more. So that was that was fun to follow along uh, with you guys' adventures while while it was happening. So. Oh, thanks so much, Tony. Yeah, I appreciate the insight. I'll uh, I'll work to do more of those and do a better job on them and uh, put right. out some more good great. content. So yeah, thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. Um, well, yeah, thanks again, man. We'll uh, talk soon. Sounds good. All right, okay. take care. All right. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Tony Treach is an animal. Man, that guy knows what he wants in life and goes and gets it. Um, I just love that. I love that attitude. It's uh, hunting season. Yeah, it's all about, you know, enduring more. It's all about uh, staying out there longer, putting in the time. Like, there's just no shortcut for it. And Tony's all public land, all self-guided. A ton of archery hunts, which are extremely difficult. Fun to hear about his Ibex hunt and um, New Mexico and uh, that Colorado buck he turned up and harvest with multiple stocks. Um, yeah, I just I really respect everything he does, and I get a ton of motivation out of it. So he's just the perfect guest for Eastman's Elevated, and I can't thank Tony enough for coming on and sharing all his insight into Western hunting. He's making us all better, and so uh, thanks a bunch to him. I also want to thank our sponsors, Sig Sauer, uh, just building awesome products. I'm really digging those new 15s, uh, the range-finding binoculars, and um, that new spotting scope. Uh, just they, They're building the, the highest quality products out there, and um, I'm really proud to be using Sig Sauer. also want to thank uh, Swagger Bipods. Swagger Bipods have been with us from the beginning. I really like Josh. I like his products. Uh, they make my daughters better. They make my dad better. They just build the best bipod on the market, the best shooting sticks on the market. Uh, so if you're interested in becoming a, a more accurate shot with your rifle, make sure to check out Swagger. And with that, man, oh, man, uh, it's been fun. been fishing a lot. I've been, got in a bunch of days this year. I know that was one of my goals for the new year. So uh, a bunch of evening days, weekend days, um, still getting in my runs. Uh, just have to fit them in, you know, uh, uh, weird times and, and um, doing the best I can. But, yeah, getting in some good miles, getting in some good fishing days. Now it's bear season out this weekend. I saw three this weekend. Passed on a medium jet black. Really going to try to pass on these mediums, those five-and-a-half footers that I normally go for. I'm going to try to let those things walk and really look for a giant. And it might be a couple-year quest, and I'd be okay with eating my tag. I'm going to hunt really hard this year. And I'm looking for a monster. I, you know, every year I'll, I'll harvest a bear and then keep going out with buddies. And I just see some giants and you're just wishing you, you still had a tag just for an opportunity at one of those giant pumpkin head boars. And, and, you know, we have good populations and we have some giant bears around here. It's only going to get better during the rut. Once this grass starts to really green up. So I'm jacked. Um, and hopefully I got some buddies that'll go in on those five and a half footers. Usually I could talk dan into those those mediums or whatever i mean dan's a great bear hunter he's killed a bunch of great bears but 
you know, us as bow hunters, we're just looking for opportunity. It's so extremely difficult. And so, you know, I don't think he tagged a bear last year. He came really close. We had some good days, but he's a little bit more hungry to kill one. So, you know, when we see a five and a half footer, most of the time he'll go, he'll go for it. Excuse me, guys. Most of the time he'll go for it. But, um, yesterday he gave a pass. I think it was a good pass. I think it was a five to five and a half foot jet black. So we let him walk, let him grow up a couple more years. And, uh, We'll keep on the lookout for bears, but yeah, fun to be taking my bow for a walk. It's fun as we're starting to find out, you know, uh, all the um, all all the tags are coming back in, so we're starting to figure out what hunts we're doing, and and um, you know, those tags are really tough to draw. I mean, it's normal for somebody to not draw any tags throughout a year, applying all over the West, but you just got to get your name in the hat. Uh, and you have to you have to shake it up and apply for less sought after units and just try to try to weasel some tags so a guy can have huge adventures in the fall and it's nice here in Montana I'm guaranteed a, a deer and an elk and an antelope uh, well I'm I'm guaranteed a deer and elk and a bear tag every year antelopes are really easy draw I've gone hundred percent on my draws the last dozen years so I can pretty much count on that one too. Um, so that's really nice to have some over the counter I can I can count on and, and a bunch of adventures and then just starting to hear the results now. Drew that New Mexico tag and we'll see. I'm really hoping I can pick up a Nevada or a Colorado or a Wyoming, pick up an early season mule deer tag somewhere. Um, would just be awesome. But it's really fun to start to plan these adventures and then Gosh, it just gives me so much motivation. You draw one of those tags, and it's not like I'm not motivated running every day anyways, but you know, it's just like, man, it always comes down to making a shot. And once you get on a hunt, there's no improving your skill set as far as a shooter. So it's just putting in the, the arrows now and the time and the practice now, really trying to up my skill level and, and strength and be as absolutely as good as I can be in the mountains. Um Gosh, the, I just turned 40 the other day, so that had that 40th birthday. This is not a solo podcast, by the way. We'll wrap this up. That was a great episode with Tony. Uh, but yeah, I just turned 40 the other day, and um, which is still young. And uh, I, I'm still in great shape, still super capable. But it does remind you that, you know, life is limited, and man, you better make the, mess, the most of it. Get as, as much adventure as you can out of this life. And and um you know as the years click off i've had a bunch of good ones but i just i just um i want to do as many as i can and i i want to i want to push myself physically and mentally i want to see what i'm capable of my you know i've i've been able to build this great skill set over the years of finding trophies and harvesting trophies um and, and now you know i've shot enough animals where i can really hold off on these critters and God, i want to i want to see what i can do i want to i want to really push myself and, and really see what kind of trophies I can turn up. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the days of field and the experience and the adventure and um, and giving it a hundred percent, giving it just absolutely my all uh, into hunting and see what I can do this fall. So I am super stoked. Uh, running good miles, uh, weight training's been going good. Um, yeah, and shooting that bow just like a madman. Twice a day, more arrows than normal, more arrows than usual. You know, it's just like just messing with that bow. And man, I got that VXR just shooting. So I'm I'm super pumped, you guys. Hunting season is coming. Um, I love working hard towards my goals, and and right now, uh, I am just grinding, ready to come into summer and work hard. And got some awesome hunts coming up, um, some good backup plans, and just hoping I can 
you know, I, I already drew a good New Mexico late season, just hoping I can draw an early season and, and see what happens here. But, man, I'm stoked. We are so fortunate to to have this passion or this thing that we love to do, this thing that drives us and drives us to, to push past, you know, push past our comfort levels. And um, I, don't, I don't think everybody has that in life. And it, it sure makes for a fulfilling, great life, I tell you. I just... I just love living adventure. So thanks to you guys so much. You guys are the reason this podcast goes. Um, I can't say it enough. I try to mention it every podcast, but it's truly humbling to have the support of this podcast. Uh, check out that other podcast I started if you're into fly fishing or interested in it. It's my other passion. It's a fly fishing podcast. Um, you can find it Eastman's on the fly. Six episodes up. We got a great one this week with Landon DeKaiser all about reading water. Uh, super podcast there so make sure to check that out uh, really appreciate the support social media um, the the itunes those reviews um, oh, the review is weird so they hold up five stars and then they say review it you've got to hit the star on the far right and that gives you five stars i um it's a little goofy but those those ratings and and those uh, uh comments and things they really help uh to to get the podcast out there, um, it it helps the algorithm of iTunes to recommend your podcast to other hunting to people that are listening to other hunting podcasts. So it really helps me out. I appreciate you guys, and uh, I really want you to be successful this year. So, all right, I got a phone call coming in. That's a wrap. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>